0: are you a nerd are you a person then check out voluntary input where we not only have open discussions about tech tv movies and gaming but also open discussions
1: about people and sometimes with the people behind the tech catch new episodes with me Leo Allen, bi-weekly on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Good Pods, and pretty much everywhere else you listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out videos of every episode on YouTube and Twitch. Simply go to voluntaryinput.com to find all the ways you can listen to us, contact us, and better yet,
0: select register as a guest to be a guest on the show, because we are always looking for great guests like you.
1: Never forced, never coerced. Welcome to Voluntary Input. I would like, if I may, to take you on a stray. Straight- It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandah, a group of my colleagues. Well, a a boy's best friend is his mother. Eric Bedford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them, too. Warriors, come out to play. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight.
2: Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Antonio and this is episode 45 of the Cult Worthy Podcast. And the title of this episode is The Last Men on Earth. My guest today, 7CZ of the No on 15 Allcast, is going to join me in a deep dive on The Last Men on Earth series of films based on the book I Am a Legend by Richard Matheson. Now those films are The Last Men on Earth with Vincent Price, The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, and of course, I Am Legend, starring Will Smith. But before we jump into those, I've got some pretty cool movie news. Now, I have been very vocal about my distaste for remakes. Now, I do like the occasional reboot, especially if it's going to heighten awareness of an intellectual property that has long since been forgotten or overlooked, and this is the perfect one. So if you are a fan of the trauma films of the 1980s, you know, Lloyd Kaufman's company, there has been talk for a while of a toxic Avenger reboot starring Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. And I'm super excited for this because I think this could be a great series for this guy. He needs more lead roles. He makes an excellent villain. He makes an excellent side character. Let's get him some more lead roles. I did not see Cyrano, but I heard a lot of good things. And this is just a great turn on that character. Now, very little has been said about what they're actually doing with this character. If they're going to stay true to his origin story or if they're going to kind of go off a beaten path a little bit, I really don't care. I'm just happy to see this series out there. Now, this comes from The Hollywood Reporter. And what it's reporting is that it is going to be rated heavy R for gore and graphic nudity. It is also going to be starring Kevin Bacon and Elijah Wood, and it's just got a lot of fun things that are mixed into it. So I would say go check out this article. You can find it on my website, thecultworthy.com. And again, it's from The Hollywood Reporter, Toxic Avenger, starring Peter Dinklage. Gonna be rated hard, R, folks. So with that, let's get into the show with my guest 7CZ of The Note on 15 Allcast. This is The Last Men on Earth. And I am here with Caesar aka 7Cs from the No on 15 all cast. How you doing, man? Hey man. Uh, this is awesome.
0: Nice to finally meet you. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about what we're talking about tonight and uh, yeah, just happy to be here.
2: Yeah, likewise um, yours is a show that like always pops up on my list. We have um, a lot of associates in the indie podcasting world that kind of like got us together and you know what it's just what's really cool about this indie podcasting world especially, the topics that we cover is that there is kind of like this sense of like mutual respect and camaraderie, you know, like there is this sense where it's like, Oh man, I can't wait to listen to this episode they put out because they're covering a subject that I want to cover in the future. And I feel like we all kind of like listen to each other's shows and keep aware of each other's subjects as to not like pounce on each other's weeks and topics. And Mm -hmm. that is something that I was not expecting when I got into this indie podcasting world, and, uh, do you feel the same way? Like, are you having the similar experiences?
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. I, have noticed, um, a lot of other indie podcasters, they'll put out a movie either that we spoke about or something we're thinking about doing. And, uh, yeah, just, it's, it's awesome. If you love film, I, I don't see why you would get upset about it, you know, cause everybody has a different interpretation, different, you know, opinions about movies or the way they're done and to hear like other indie podcasters do it. Uh, I think it's pretty awesome. There's so many out there, like you said, for for everyone not to be on top of each other or getting upset because someone did something, uh, I think it's pretty great.
2: Yeah, and like I've actually, I mean, I've met so many friends in in the indie podcasting world and there's a few cult film podcasts that we like all Mm listen to each other's shows and we're all very different in our format and in our opinions that even if we hit the same movie like in the same month, we actually will tell listeners to go and listen to each other's shows so they can get, like, these three different angles. Because at the end of the day, it's, like, about exposure. Like, we talk about these films that people maybe have forgotten or they've been overlooked, or there are, like, multiple films in a genre or series they didn't know about. And we're just kind of putting the word out there. Like, hey, do you remember this movie? Hey, guess that there's, there's another version of it. There's an earlier version. There's a later version. There's an Italian version, you know? And getting people excited about about film again, you know, because there is this thing going on and Josh and I have talked about it at length. You know, he's more of a comic book head than I am, but there is Mm -hmm. something to be said about like people blaming the MCU or, you know, the DC films or comic book films or that genre in in general of kind of like distracting audiences from original ideas. And Mm -hmm. I think there might be a little bit of credence to that, but... The argument that no one makes original ideas anymore, I don't think that's true. I just think it's not as marketable when you do have MCU films and Disney films and Pixar films out there. But with the advent of streaming and podcasts like this and film blogs and social media, I've seen these films getting talked about more than ever, these obscure films and forgotten films. so. I think it's totally subjective and people just need to look a little bit closer on what's actually going on than what's happening at the box office, you know?
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. I think there's something to be said about marketing, uh, especially uh, one of our buddies who's in marketing. We always joke with him about it. You know, uh, if we could be in the marketing or the boardroom when they're talking about these films that they're trying to make or something that we might have discussed. And like you said, there's something to that. Um, I don't think. It's the fault of those, you know, Mm -mm. type of films like hero films and comic films. I think it's really more on the viewer, you know, Mm -hmm. and like what we're doing, like you're saying, speaking about things that are older. And I think it's one of the reasons I do the podcast is just because at some point, you know, physical media might go away and people might not know about this stuff. And it's just streaming and to kind of give a record to it is pretty awesome and just kind of sharing how you felt when you saw it, I think is important as well. Absolutely.
2: Um, and, and on that topic, man, yeah. let's you know, <laughs> uh, we share a lot of the same listeners, I'm sure, but for those that haven't heard of your show, explain your show. What's it about? And your co-hosts who aren't here today, what's the mm-hmm. what's the whole story behind that? How'd you guys get together?
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. So it pretty much started because of the pandemic and I always uh, I started doing it by myself and I've always been into film. I worked at a theater throughout high school. I ended up working at blockbuster part-time and, um, you know, all that stuff, you know, being into games, being into movies, shows, comics, toys, like there's a whole shelf of toys behind me. I know Uh, I see Collecting toys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, yeah, all that stuff, man. And I was like, there was nowhere to go. And, and I did music for a long time, like maybe 10 years. And, You know, so I had all the equipment and I was like, I think it's time to kind of just start doing a podcast and I call it the all cast because when it started, it was just I was talking about everything, you know, not just specifically film. And then little by little, it started evolving into that. And a lot of the stuff um, like our show is, you know, 80s, 90s, contemporary stuff. You know, we, we do a segments on our show, so we kind of talk, give everyone an opportunity to kind of say, hey, you know, this is what we're watching right now. Like it might be a new show, might be a new movie, something we've seen recently. And then we'll get into kind of flashback and talk about, you know, the movie that we're talking about, you know, and we do it in a series. So like we just finished up the parody series on our on our podcast where we talked about like the Naked Guns, Spaceballs, like those kind of films that were all parody films.
2: What was it? Loaded Weapon. Loaded Weapon. Loaded Weapon. weapon. Yeah, that was a good one. And then um, (laughs) did you guys do Fatal Instinct?
0: No, we mentioned it. We mentioned it, but no, we didn't do it.
2: I've been talking about that (laughs) one for a while with some uh, people across the pond. Like They hadn't heard of it. I think it had a different um, title on that side of the world. And a bunch of them went back and watched it. I'm like, yeah, I need to put it together. And I was putting together an idea of parodies. And then, like like we were talking about earlier, I saw you guys doing it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that one on hold. It can wait. You know, we don't need to be Mm -hmm. like doing double up on the parody episodes, but yeah, Yeah. especially revisiting Loaded Weapon because I hadn't seen that one in years. And yeah, great, great time. They don't make parodies like that anymore because I feel the internet takes care of it now.
0: Yes. Yes, that's true. Like they'll make like quick videos and they'll be up on YouTube or something. Yeah, like Funny
2: or Die and College Humor. They've already Mm kind of like cornered the market on parody. So I'm not sure how a parody film would work in the theater anymore, but I'd love to see someone try you know, I think mm-hmm. it kind of got ruined, though, with all the scary movie and superhero disaster yeah. movie ones from the mid 2000s. But I don't know. Like, it, it might just take a, a, a clever approach to it that someone hasn't done or just reinvent the wheel and do what they did back in the 70s and 80s. And it might seem new to all these, you know, Generation Z kids. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's something like we like we discuss on our show, like once we do our last segment and we talk about if it's possible for something to be remade because it's something that's you know older that was done and we we talk about the social climate with this past nowadays um and just the whole idea about remaking parodies is it's difficult i think now because of like what you said the internet you know and also like parodies kind of tend to build off of stuff that came before them like other Mm -hmm. films so you'd have to have a good amount of stuff built up depending on what you're parodying obviously and then to kind of execute that well you know something you know famous like uh, that's why i don't i don't understand why loaded weapon isn't talked about more because uh there's not a lot of parodies on like the action cop film from back in the 80s and 90s that was like popular you know
2: and it came out so, the exact right time like from 85 to yeah. 95 that was like that buddy cop action movie period where you had your lethal weapons and you had you know bad boys that just come out like there was a bunch of different. Mm-hmm. films that were all kind of playing off that same theme, like the Joel Silver films and the Don Simpson yep. films. It, it perfectly played on that. And yeah. And, you know, hey, talking about remakes, that's kind of what we're doing today. You reached out to me about The Omega Man. It is one of my favorite Charlton Heston films of the 70s because it's so Charlton Heston of the 70s. <laughs> but you can't talk about Omega Man without talking about the other films that were all inspired by the same story. You can't talk about it without talking about Last Man on Earth from 1964 with Vincent Price or I Am Legend from 2007 with Will Smith. And like we were talking about before we started recording, this isn't the only film that was a play on this whole kind of post-apocalyptic Last Man on Earth scenario.
0: The isolationist aspect of it, right? Yeah. Like... uh... Being like locked away and uh there's no one else around. That that whole you get that feeling from these post-apocalyptic films and these specifically, um big time, you know, like Last Man on Earth and Omega Man. Um definitely.
2: Yeah. And to add to like the suspense and tension of it, you do have an ominous force out to get our hero. And I like how each version that was based off the original story have their own different take on what that thing is like it all has the same kind of source origin but each one plays mm-hmm. it a little bit differently so how about we just jump right into it man I was gonna ask you about that did you read the book at all have you read the book at all no I've and never based on I've never read the book I have read a collection of short stories by Richard Matheson main mm-hmm. reason why is because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan and a mm-hmm. lot of his a lot of his short stories and novellas were actually, Um, inspired episodes in the Twilight Zone. And he wasn't the only one either. You know, like uh, there were some stories by Roald Dahl that made it into a lot of um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes back in the 50s and 60s. And then like Richard Matheson and some other famous science fiction writers, Rod Serling would hire them and kind of get them in there into the writer's room for the Twilight Zone, which is like, Mm -hmm. if you were to watch this movie, and like I said, I haven't read the book, but watching all three of these versions this would be right at home in the Twilight Zone. In fact, there are a few Last men on Earth yeah. Twilight Zone episodes. I think the one that's most popular is the one with Burgess Meredith, where um, he's like a banker and he's down in the vault. I think it's called Time Enough at Last. And there's a nuclear war while he's in the vault. And he comes out and oh. everyone's gone. It's great for him because he spent his entire life being teased because all he ever wants to do is read. And now everyone in the world is gone. No one's there to tease him. So he's got, you know, the rest of his life to read whatever he wants. And then he breaks his glasses <laughs> and then he can't read shit. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's one of those like little plays on things. And, and there is a little bit of that in, in this film as well. So the first film, isn't there a parody of that.
0: I'm sorry. Isn't there yeah. a parody of that in the Simpsons?
2: There's a parody of um, everything in the like, Simpsons, but yes, there is.
0: <laughs> I, I remember that vaguely, like, uh, that, that scene where he's like, oh, I can finally read all these books. And then his eyes fall out of his head. and Like, I had time. Yeah,
2: there it was time yeah. now. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good, man. So yeah, so 1964, we see the first adaptation of this Richard Matheson story. The original story was actually called I Am Legend, which they used for the 2007 version. Mm-hmm. This one was called The Last Man on Earth. We switch
1: you to the state capital where His Excellency, the governor, is speaking from the Executive Mansion. Further, I have, in conjunction with the federal government, declared this state to be a disaster area. I was sent to keep you here, until they come. (sighs) To kill me. They are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire. Or stick to the ground in the light of the sun. Will the unbelievable
2: become real? It was an American-Italian collaboration. They actually filmed it in Rome. And Vincent Price was, was the star of that one. Now, there is something about this original version in black and white that it's a good movie, but it loses you in the second act because it does a lot of back explaining in flashback form right in the middle, which is kind of sad because that first act is so good. Like Vincent Price is really just great at being a guy on his own. And the fact that he is like our titular character, the last man on earth, he is not an action hero. He's not a tough guy. He's a very intelligent guy and he survives simply by just using his brain and the things that are around him in this world that has gone bad. You know, and in that Mm -hmm. one, it is not creatures in the original novel, which apparently were more like the ones in the 2007 version. They are Mm -hmm. like undead vampire zombies. They're kind of mindless and they're aggressive and they attack in hordes like a night of the living dead. And they Mm -hmm. know where he's at, but they really aren't as much of a threat. You would feel as they were represented in the other versions. What did you think about that?
0: Um, yeah, I actually had you know, I always take my little notes down when I'm watching films. I try to actually reflect, not do it so much as I'm watching, but after the fact. But yeah, I get that vibe of Night of the Living Dead from that. And it's probably, you know, obviously inspired from this, not you know, from the other. But like yeah, this is said, there's some intelligence there. Yeah. It's not, you know, like they're not, uh, as cognizant as they are you would say in Omega Man even where they are the most yes uh, with their wits but the the whole garlic thing on the door uh, that was like right away sets you up to think it's like vampires. there's definitely got to be vampires right (laughs) that took over the world in a way Um, but not your traditional you know vampires that are sexy Mm -hmm. uh, that people are used to seeing these are like you said mindless um, more like closer to zombies and Vincent Price is just awesome like you said, that whole first act, he's Vincent Price. You just, you're just you kind of glued to the screen because of who it is. And he has that aura when you're watching the film.
2: He has that aura and, uh, and that voice. And, and he has, yeah what I love about his portrayal of this character is that even though it is the end of the world, he's the last man on earth, he has such this suaveness to him. Like everything he does is so suave and genteel. It's like he doesn't lose his his manners or his gentlemanliness even though yeah. he's living by himself <laughs> in this in this tower in this destroyed world. And you know, one of the things that I find interesting about the lore of this film, like I said I haven't read the original novel. I'm assuming that it's a little bit closer to the Will Smith adaptation. The origin mm. of the disease in this one is fascinating to me because this one starts off with this plague yeah. that right. Creates like people to be these vampire creatures that are susceptible to vampire. What's the best way to put prophylactics? I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
0: like the vampire. Uh, the the hindrances. Like the token, yeah, the, uh, you got your garlic. You know. Say. Yeah,
2: you've. Yeah. I don't. I don't think you know they don't have. <laughs> and any he's making
0: the, steaks as well.
2: He's right? making steaks by hand with his own little like woodworking system. Like I said, this guy's using mm-hmm. his brain. But what I love the most about why he hasn't caught this plague infection is that it's because he was bit by a bat when he was in like South Africa during like an army stint. And he's like, I think that's why I'm not catching the plague. I mean, that's some good writing right there. It's like, oh, you're not going to get the vampire plague because you got some bat bacteria, which works into the rest of the story in the third act. But I I think that's what I like the best about this particular version is. They let Vincent Price be Vincent Price. They didn't try to turn him into anything else. They didn't try to turn him into an action star. They didn't try to turn him into any kind of hero. They're like, no, we want you to be who you are known to be—the smart, well-spoken, suave guy—and that's what makes this film work a little bit differently, you know? Yeah,
0: I agree. And and now, kind of speaking to your point about uh, the flashback scenes, and it's kind of like one of the first. Um, I'll say for me, being a film that's from 1964, obviously, which is already like almost 60 years old, 58 years old or something. But you see that done so much in film nowadays, you know, you see like there's a flashback scene to kind of retro, retroactively go back and kind of explain, you know, some of the plot and, um, to see the way it was done in this film is, it's kind of interesting, like how he was trying to hide his family away and telling them not to, you know, call the doctor, not to get help. Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening, you know, how they take his daughter away because uh, I think the wife called and he goes down to where they're dumping the bodies mm-hmm. and that whole scene. Uh, it's just it's crazy, you know, and, and it's you don't really see, I think, in none of the other films, that kind of aspect of what was happening during the plague. Like what was actually occurring with people getting rid of the bodies and stuff like that. You just kind of see the aftermath yeah. of everything else,
2: you know. Um, and it's interesting talking about these films yeah during this time where we're just kind of coming out of a pandemic you know i was gonna say i had a i had
0: (laughs) i had noticed something from that version specifically that made me laugh was um when vincent price runs and he he sees ruth Mm -hmm. right for the first time i thought that was really hilarious because like and she starts running away. I'm like, who wouldn't run away from yeah. a dude that's yelling in <laughs> a, a post-apocalypse <laughs> chasing you down a hill. <laughs> so I just thought that scene was kind of funny, you know, singing like, no, stop, come back. Where are you going?
2: I want to help you. <laughs> I thought it was funny too. And the, you know what? The, the whole scene with the daughter, like I remember being truly shocked in night of the living dead when the little girl mm. turns into a zombie and, and attacks They're her parents and eats the liver and Mm -hmm. kills a guy with a garden spade. But this is four years before that. And there was Mm -hmm. something just truly disturbing. I could only imagine what audiences back then would have thought when they saw this film to see a child in that decrepit state when she's caught Mm -hmm. the plague and she's lying in her bed just sick and almost mummified. Like It was so disturbing how simply it was shot, but it wasn't something that you saw a lot in movies back then. So I can only imagine yeah. like the terror that would instill in people like, oh, my God, a child is dying on screen with this, this terrible thing like that's horror to me. Like I get more tuned off by that and more disturbed than like a jump scare in a slasher film, you know?
0: Yeah, I think uh, especially as a parent, like if you're oh, a parent God, especially, now, yeah. you know, and I, I tell everyone this now, too, that uh, some of my older friends like how there's before you're a parent watching movies and there's after. Mm -hmm. And like certain things just hit you differently. Like you get that feeling more as a parent when you see things like that. And that scene, like you said, specifically, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, And especially for trying to get into the mind state of people at that time to see the way bodies were getting, you know, thrown out
2: and the way he got his daughter taken away from him must've been crazy. Um, I know. And then like for, for those of us that have watched these films or read these stories, when the pandemic was like in its first few months and we were hearing stories about bodies just being held in container trucks in New York city. Cause there was yeah. no more space in the morgue. I mean, there was part of me was like, is that really true? Because now we're in sci-fi land, you know? And, yeah. you know, I, again, like it's, it's all kind of changed over the last couple of years. We were all really afraid at first and then we were just left wondering what's going on, which I still think is where we're at right now. But yeah, that first three months, it really did feel post-apocalyptic. And this was one of the first films that I was thinking about when <laughs> you started hearing those stories from New York, man.
0: Yeah. The plague, man. The plague across all three of these films uh, is different. And that whole, the whole concept of not having something right away and to deal with it in the real world, uh, you know, no, no cure Uh, no treatment and just Mm -hmm. hearing what was happening. Uh, That's definitely, yeah, that stuff hits you right away when you think about
2: it. For sure. And like the whole media aspect, I can't wait to talk about in, to me, like the real main course of these three films. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, 1971's The Omega Man.
1: Creature. Caught. Caught in a place he cannot stir from in the dark. Alone. Outnumbered, hundreds to one. Nothing to live for but his memories. Nothing to live with but his gadgets, his cars, his guns, gimmicks. And yet the whole family can't bring him down out of that. That ugly paradise, brother. Oh, my. In a world gone mad. Our fellow countrymen are dying. In the city of Los Angeles. Hospitals have begun to crack under the strain. In the aftermath of biological Armageddon. Now the question is survival. A ruthless band of outlaws rules the night. But one man rules the day. The Omega Man.
0: When was the first time you saw this? Oh, man, um, I, I I tell everyone, like, I, a lot of the films that I saw from the 70s and even 60s are because I had older brothers. So I'm the youngest one in my family, and I had brothers that are, like, 10 years older than me, seven years older than me, and they were always watching, you know, sci-fi from that time, man. You know, like, sci-fi and, you know, even martial arts films, action films, westerns, and, like, all that stuff. I love that stuff because I grew up on that stuff because of them. Yeah, same. And, like... My brother loves Planet of the Apes, you know, and like there was a marathon on Planet of the Apes on Charlton Heston. I was watching it. My dad loved Ten Commandments. So I was watching that. You know, he was just like I, I a lot of times I think to myself, there's this handing of the baton with action stars. And I felt like Charlton Heston was like one of them action stars. And who did he hand that baton to? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, I always almost gravitated to the stuff he was in. And I think my brother was watching yeah, the Omega Man the first time I was like, yo, what is this? This is awesome. Uh, it's different and you know, it's, it's, even though it's dated and, you know, and the first time I saw it was probably like 88, 89, when I was like nine, 10 years old or something like that. I was like, yo, this is, this is still a great film to me. you know.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. We got almost the same story and we're pretty much the same age too. My dad was a huge mm-hmm. Charlton Heston fan. So again, I grew up with planet of the apes. I grew up watching Ben Hur, and I grew up watching 10 commandments mm-hmm. and greatest show on earth but I feel the films that we watched the most of Charlton Heston was The Omega Man and Soylent Green. Like, my dad Mm. loved those movies. He loved these dark films of post-apocalyptic stuff. And, you know, he wasn't very politically minded, but he would always say, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going (laughs) to happen. What? You, You just start learning how to, like, change a tire and start a fire in the woods because this is coming. Like, he had this doom and gloom stuff which really didn't scare him. I almost think sometimes he wanted it to happen because he wanted to be a badass because he kind of was a
1: badass.
2: (laughs) I think he wanted to kill zombies with a tire iron. I really do. Like, I think he was training for that personally. But yeah, so I probably saw this the first time like I was eight or nine. And the thing about this film, I think for most people is this film isn't really a horror movie. This is more straight Mm sci-fi where I would say the versions from 2007 and 1964 play more on the horror aspect and that's why i like this one better because the horror and the terror is from the isolation one Mm -hmm. and from two he is dealing with an intelligent group so how about you kind of like recap the difference between this one and the last man on earth yeah um i totally agree i think that that
0: that aspect of it with the people that he's dealing with the family uh in the omega man you know people that actually are still intelligent and almost to the extent of they are you know they want things to go back pre you know Mm -hmm. pre-industrial age they they are anti-technology anti-science and you don't you know you get that it's almost like an evolution of the villain in the story in a way because you had like more of the zombie vampire kind of like take in uh the last man on earth as opposed to this where the danger is almost to me <laughs> it's more real and more imminent and our protagonist in Charlton Heston um, who plays Dr. Robert Neville in this version doesn't care like he's used to it already he's used mm-hmm. to living a life that way which is crazy when I, when i think about it where you have people coming out and yelling at you in the middle of the night and actually out there on the streets kind of telling their their uh, ideology to their group and you could hear everything from the balcony. Um,
2: it's, it's insane. And this one is so like sociologically conflicting because this one is more of a cautionary tale for sure. The whole idea of the family, which if you looked at them at first glance, they almost have kind of like a cult like representation. Yep. They wear cloaks. They're, they're almost kind of like a, a brethren of like a monastery. So there is kind of a cultish thing. And this came out just around the time satanic panic was hitting the country. You know, people were talking about Manson. People were talking about Jonestown in a couple of years. Like there was a lot of stuff going on. So I think this kind of was written to play in that current vibe that the country was kind of afraid of and going through. So again, that kind of adds to the horror. But as a cautionary tale as well, the brethren, I'm sorry, the family, they want to go back to like the pre-industrial age because it was science that ruined the world. Mm-hmm. It was science and conflict, funny enough, with the Soviet Union. Like, who knows? It's like history repeating itself kind <laughs> it of <never> thing. <laughs> it never changes. And it, it makes for good science fiction stories that end up being kind of real But again, it also makes you think that if you were looking at this film through a different set of eyes, Charlton Heston could be the villain and the family actually are the good guys, you know, because he he is out there just hunting them down willy nilly. They are only a danger to him. Now, at least into the third act, when we find out that there are actually other survivors or at least people living with the Mm. disease that need a cure or some kind of like hybrid cure that can keep them from turning full, you know, Nightwalker. I guess because they can only live at night; they can't come out in the day. But yeah, like when you when you watch it from that aspect, you're like, Charlton Heston is a a, a lone guy trying to like live his life, and he's out there hunting these people. Granted, they are trying to get him, but he has no future in this society he has no play in (laughs) making the world a better place. If he wasn't so concentrated on self survival and self sustainability, if he just kind of let himself go out into the woods or let them take him, it would almost be better for the world because now this group of people could start over again. You know, it's, it's weird. Like depending on what set of eyes you watch this film from, and that's why I like this film the best because it actually does let you think. And that was a seventies movie trope. Like, You had all these disaster films and sci-fi films that were like ecologically disastrous because you're like, yeah, you're going to destroy the planet. I mean, Planet of the Apes is a perfect example, you know, and that came out in the late 60s.
0: Um, It's funny you say that because um, moving, transitioning from the original version into this version, um, I get right away, I get a different vibe when you see him driving into, and it's LA, you know, it's LA and, and like, you see him driving into the city and you get the post-apocalyptic feeling and then the music hits and it's that 70s music. And then that's the vibe I get. Like but I'm like you
1: know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's like, okay.
0: And I'm like, all right. So you know it what era it is. So right away when the music hits, which is kind of big, um, you get a feeling, and then you see the 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 fashion in the film, the way people are dressed, uh, even the mannequins when he's walking through the store, or the way he's dressed, like you said, the self-sustainability um that whole aspect is like that's all he's really worried about he, he thinks he's the last person alive he thinks there's no one else you know obviously he has a family to deal with so yeah man it's crazy when you think about looking at it which lens you're looking at it through um and there's a scene i think in the film where richie tells him man you just you just scare me more than matthias sometimes when yeah you're on the top of the roof and he's like, yeah, it's, it speaks to that, what you said, where he's just out hunting and he's marking off all these areas, you know, trying to find where the family's at. Yeah, it, it is, for that reason, probably out of the three films, to me, the best one because of that. It,
2: ha- it has that aspect. Yeah, but it also has like this 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 group of, let's call them villains, but I actually have a lot of sympathy and respect for them and for their message. What fascinates me about this film and its group is A, the leader of this group, Matthias. He is well-spoken. Everyone seems to be well-educated, and they all are devoted and loyal, not as much to Matthias, but to the idea of what they've created. Because there are several mm-hmm. members of the family that like flat-out be like, no, Matthias, you're wrong. You know, He doesn't have mm-hmm. unquestionable authority. But when you dig deeper into the story of at least what it shows us, not a lot of people have caught this. Um, I've talked to a few people who watched this movie. They didn't catch this throughout the flashbacks this film does flashbacks too of like how this whole plague was starting there is a news anchor on the news who is telling the story at first factually <laughs> and then eventually starts becoming more opinionated it almost becomes more of kind of like an opinion editorial piece kind of like what we see on mainstream media news right now
1: destroyed the world the entire los angeles area Already, hospital facilities have begun to crack under the strain, and civil defense authorities state that the situation is much the same across the entire country. Martial law is now nationwide. Major cities in all parts of the country, New York, Los Angeles, report plague victims falling dead in the streets, in their homes, at their work. The first symptom appears to be severe choking, followed by immediate unconsciousness. Death occurs within minutes. Whether a state of war between China and Russia still exists, is not important any longer. Our fellow countrymen are dying. The very foundations of civilization are beginning to crumble under the dread assault of that horror, long feared germ warfare. Conrad channel. This is a class one emergency. All civilian traffic is barred from streets and highways. Stay in your homes. Stay in your homes. Those found without specific military orders are subject to summary execution. Stay in your homes. Repeat Conrad channel. This is a class one emergency. All civilian traffic is barred from streets and highways.
2: That starts influencing the people out there more than like giving them facts. He's like, you know, we are, we are guilty for this, it's our foolishness that does this, and that news reporter turns out to be Matthias. Mm-hmm. So he was planting the seeds early on of like, I don't think he knew he was going to catch this plague and become like the leader of this family, but it kind of goes to show that there is media influence and that an intelligent mm-hmm. person who can speak very convincingly.
1: Now the question is survival. Is this the end of technological man? Is this the conclusion of all our yesterdays, the boasts of our fabled science, the superhuman conquests of space and time, the age of the wheel? We were warned of judgment. Well, here it is, here, now, in the form of billions of microscopic bacilli, this is the end.
2: Can often gather followers that will follow them to disaster or to something horrific. And we're seeing that right now. We're seeing like media personalities who have all of a sudden, like, let's say Tucker Carlson just quit his show and like everyone follow me to the woods and get guns. There would be people that would do it. And that's my point. This film kind <laughs> of like plays this, plays to this idea.
0: Yeah, it does. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's funny. Yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't think about that myself either, man. Um, I, I always knew that was Matthias, but I didn't think that, that part of it, like you said, where he at the very end, Uh, is planting the seeds you know Mm -hmm. like right before they go off the air kind of telling them yeah you know it's their fault it's science's fault that we're paying for all this um (laughs) yeah that's that's a good catch man yeah
2: that's what i do and that's why i do these podcasts like it's (laughs) it's funny it's like i could either watch these films and just like talk to random strangers on the street or i could get on a microphone and tell random strangers across the internet (laughs) who actually want to listen to me talk about it sometimes (laughs) Hey there Cultworthy podcast listeners, I have an amazing new app for you, it is called Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them aloud to you in a natural human voice, unlike mine. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable all in one place. You can browse articles and topics from which you choose and start playing stop scrolling and start listening you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like from sports tech business science bitcoin even the kardashians it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud and they have podcasts as well explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries including mine the cult worthy podcast they even have digital radio Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link available in my episode notes. That's C-U-L-T-C-A-S-T to receive one month free premium subscription. Once again, check out Newsly and thank you for listening to the Cult Worthy Podcast. Um, one of the things I like about this film too is there there is that romantic angle between he and Lisa, who is mm-hmm. played by Rosalind Cash, and she's great. I absolutely love her in this yeah, movie. And this comes out like right before you know the black exploitation craze. And we're still mm-hmm. pretty early on into like you know we've already seen the civil rights movement, but we're not quite comfortable with interracial relationships yet. You know, like Kirk kissed Uhura on Star Trek just a couple years before this, and mm-hmm. this is known as one of the very first interracial kisses on screen, and especially in a sci-fi movie. And with Charlton Heston, Mr. Bible himself from Ben-Hur and Ten Commandments, <laughs> I can only imagine what some people would have thought about that, but it's kind of gone down in history as like a game-changing moment.
0: Yeah, that that, that is true. Um, I definitely dig their relationship and their dynamic uh, that they share on the screen. Um, and she's like tough. Like right away, she's not uh, buying it, you know? Yeah. Um, when they save him at the stadium. I think there's a scene in the back and he tries to like turn on her and she kind of hits him with the gun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yo, she ain't playing, man. It's great. Um, Um,
2: When I saw back in, I think 2001 or 2002, when uh, 28 days later came out, I always thought that Naomi Harris's character was, was strongly based off of Lisa from the Omega man. Just like this really tough as balls girl. That's just like, we're surviving. We're doing this or I'm leaving you behind had that attitude and i really liked that kind of throwback to that and the way that she's trying to fool him when he sees
0: her for the first time which is kind of (laughs) almost a similar callback scene to the original when he traces her down and he's trying to chase her Mm -hmm. um the same way vincent price was trying to chase ruth in the original um but she's like acting like a mannequin and a mannequin (laughs) yeah and uh, and then out of nowhere she just takes off and uh yeah, that, that always caught me in, in, in the rewatch. I always wonder, like, what made her come back and save him, you know? Right. And what was it What, what was it that did that? Was it just disdain for the family because they, they started out with the family? Or they knew who he was. Uh, they knew that he was a
2: doctor. I think that's what it is because, like, you know, even at the end, the guy takes his, his blood mixed with the water as a potential cure for the rest of the commune. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I think they realize his, his importance. And, you know, this movie does play in a lot of themes, like the whole ending scene. Spoiler alert, I'll announce it in the introduction to this episode. There is like a, a very Christ-like sacrificial yes. scene at the end. Sometimes I, I feel like the whole, um, the whole Christ on the cross uh, allusions in films can be a little bit heavy-handed. This one pulls it off pretty well because I think it just fits better in that time of the 70s were like, there weren't a lot of films in the 70s that were like this where there wasn't some kind of sacrifice by your protagonist. Mm-hmm. And like They all kind of ended on a down note. The, the way it was handled, I think it was pretty well. I think the ending's a tiny bit rushed, but the rest of the movie, and of course, just Heston's performance makes up mm-hmm. for it. I mean, I talk about, I, I Chuck, I'm gonna call him Chuck, like I know the guy. <laughs> I, talk about, <laughs> I talk about Chuck Heston movies from this era as chuck heston movies not charlton heston movies because to me charlton heston was moses chuck heston was the omega man that's the way i look at it that's that's cool (laughs) i like that um
0: yeah i feel like definitely and that's something you know to think about like who else could have played that role but i don't think you know in in retrospect i could have i could see anyone else from that era playing that you know that role of uh Robert Neville. Um, yeah. Cause you have he just, to, he embodied it so
2: well. You have you know? to have that quiet desperation. And I think that's one thing that, mm-hmm. that Charlton Heston did very well Is he was a very tough guy, but he always had this look of constant pain. I think planet of the apes is like the perfect example of that. Any scene that he's in where he's not smiling or laughing, he has like this grimace the whole time as that his emotional yeah. pain is what drives him to be a great hero. And you see that pretty much in all of his action movies. I mean, sometimes you see it in his non-action movies, which kind of you know people like ah, it's Charles and Hessen overacting again. I get it, but it really works for films like this. Like I think he knew, mm-hmm. I think he knew what his wheelhouse was. I think he knew where he was best suited, and I think he actually optioned the story. He brought this to the studio. He's like, I could do this picture, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, a few yeah. years later, we saw Romero do a lot of similar themes in Dawn of the Dead, you know, taking place in a mall. You know, they have that shopping yeah. spree. Charlton, Heston, and Lisa have that shopping spree. You're dealing with, yeah. you know, essentially undead, post apocalyptic stuff, you know. So there's no doubt how influential the original story, but especially this film was to Romero, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. No, you, you see all those uh, same, same little tropes. And, um, yeah it's very interesting to see it that way i actually you know talking about romero you know not to get too sidetracked but i actually like the remake the 1990 remake of night of the living dead yeah that tom savini did love it um and yeah man those the sense of urgency you get in this film is is something that always sticks with me as well um just like oh it's getting dark or Mm -hmm. we're running it's running out of time you get that feeling and you get it as well in the original and even in the new version, you kind of get that feeling as well. But I feel like this one sticks with me more. Um,
2: well, just because, just, I mean, I they come out why. with like a trebuchet. They come out with like a catapult and start hurling fireballs to <laughs> the apartment. Like the threat is, is so much more <laughs> dominant and, 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 and dangerous in this film. But at the same time, like it, it, the, the other part about this one I like is. The first time it happens, too. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. It's like it's it home and they're waiting outside already. And for him, it's like uh, it's a Wednesday. They're using the trebuchet again. <laughs> you know, he's ready for it. He's got his he's got his fire extinguisher right by the window. You know, yeah. yeah there and yeah, there is some funny moments in this, and the the film's not afraid to kind of like poke capitalism in the ribs a little bit because here he is, the last man on earth, and he's like always upgrading his car, and he's always like mm-hmm. getting new wardrobe and looking nice. Like even after everything's said and done. He still wants to look good and drive the best car, which is a question I wanted to ask you, man. Like if you were the last man on earth, what would your day look like? Man.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's dip. It would be, if, uh, especially like if it's a big city or not, depending where you are, I would have to say you always have to number one, look for something to eat, man. So i probably be trying to hunt, start right. of my day, get out there, try to find something to eat. Um, if I can't, uh, you know, scavenge some stuff from uh, local stores and stuff like that but it, it's funny a lot of um when you think about it that way a lot of those ideas will come from movies <laughs> like okay i've seen them do this somewhere you know or um if you've watched documentaries or if you know people that are doomsday preppers and stuff like that uh mm-hmm. you know they might have a, a shelf locked away somewhere in their house with a bunch of uh non-perishables that you can take <laughs> that kind of stuff and then Obviously, you know um, he has his whole routine out because he's trying to find where the family is. But then he uh, he gets home and oh, today's Wednesday. I got to dress nice today mm-hmm. and uh, play play chess with my
2: my homie on the other side. He essentially has like an Austin Powers jacket and a ruffle shirt, which I thought was baller. <laughs> jacket. that's a baller move, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, I don't know, man. I. I... I don't know if I'd miss video games. I love the fact that he went to the movies and he watched Woodstock. I probably wouldn't yes, pick Woodstock. Yeah. I mean, I get it. He was, that's the closest thing he can get to like a crowd experience is watching a movie about the biggest crowd in the States at the time. But yeah, yeah. I'd probably teach myself how to operate a projector and man, just watch as many movies in the theater as I could. And, you know, that'd probably, that'd be one of them. How <laughs> about a car guy? So that scared
0: I- me. That scene scared me, man. <laughs> Cause it's like, well, obviously now he's been like three years, right? Yeah. Into this post-apocalyptic world. So he has a, a routine and that seems scared me because like you're in the dark, right? And you don't
2: know. You're in a loud movie the family, theater. Yeah. They could easily yeah, sneak up behind you. Out in there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about that. <laughs> but like he's so into it and he's watched it so many times. He knows all the words to the Woodstock movie. Yeah, yeah. I know. I definitely agree with you. Like food, some kind of recreation. I wouldn't care about cars. I'd probably just like, yeah, tool around town and like do like expensive things I never could. But I don't think I'd stay in the city. I think I would try and like at least venture out, you know, maybe go Mad Max style and just get as much gasoline in a Jeep or whatever and just go west until there was no more west. I don't know. It's something I've definitely thought about from watching these movies. It's like, okay, (laughs) if it's a zombie film, what's my escape route? Where am I going? Where am I holding up? If it's a nuclear bomb, where am I hiding, or am I going out to the woods? You know, it's interesting how Mm -hmm. they've never really taught us much through the media. You know, my mom told me that she used to have like these nuclear drills when she was a kid, where it's like, okay, the alarm goes off, get under your desk, as if that's going to do anything. You know, yeah, we never really had like my school had a bomb shelter when I was a kid. I remember that. Um, We never went down there, but it, it was there. Most of the things I think when people start thinking about what they would do. In a post-apocalyptic situation, or a zombie situation, I think most of their their ideas would come from movies that they've seen.
0: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, You don't honestly like the more when I actually think about those things in all seriousness, I think about independence. So, do I have my own water source? Do I need uh, my own power source? Like, those are the things you know that I would think about. Like, uh, do I have well water? Okay. Yeah, I can, I can, I can make that work if I can get solar power somehow I can make that work. And then you need some kind of utensils for, you know, at some point you're going to run out of everything that's man-made, and you're going to need something to hunt. If you're, if you, if that's, you know, how you live or you're going to need seeds to grow if you're not eating meat, um, Mm -hmm. you know, gotta grow veggies somehow. So gotta learn how to do those things. Um, and I think, I think just, normal things that those Nate of that nature uh, is important uh, to know, just to know how to grow your own food like yeah. in case anything were to happen, dude, you can eat some tomatoes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you can live <laughs> off of that. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> no. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought this film to me. It's, it's a fun one. I had, didn't even think about talking about it until you brought it and the whole idea, the whole genre of just, you know, being that last man on earth or the last man anywhere And, you know, one of the things that uh, we had talked about was talking about I Am Legend as well with Will Smith.
1: I'm not, I'm not infected. I'm not infected, please. Nothing happened the way it was supposed to happen.
0: Six billion people on earth when the infection hit. I'm a survivor living in New York City. I will be at the South Street Seaport every day at midday when the sun is highest in the sky.
1: Interversible. Don't just push them around. Eat, eat him. I'm not playing. Morning, Hank. Midway through the G's.
2: And like I said earlier, it's like, man, it's like I've heard so much Will Smith, but there were a lot of clever things that that film did that I really enjoyed. And I, I'm one of those people that, if there's a dog in the movie, I'm instantly on my guard. I'm like, "What are you gonna do to that dog?" You know, we both saw yeah. what happened to the dog in the first one. There is no dog, thank yeah. God, in the second one. Otherwise, I don't think I'd <laughs> like it as much. But yeah, like the whole the whole part with the dog in the third one. The third one does have more true to the original source material creatures. They're fast. They're vicious. They're they're a lot more powerful now than they were when they were human. You know, that does kind of up the ante in the danger aspect. But, mm-hmm. oh, man, like, I, I think that film really is all about the dog. That's my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, man, it's a big budget film that has horrible CGI to me.
2: In a time and, uh, when it shouldn't have.
0: Yes, and that that's what makes it so bad to me. Like, I, I that's why I'll hold this one up, you know, mm-hmm. in the highest regard, because, yeah, it's not as true to the source material um, as I Am Legend, but those villains work better than some bad CGI villains, uh, unfortunately. And I feel like that that
2: kind of made the movie suffer in a way. I um, think so. That would be my biggest complaint. I mean, yeah. and, and it actually did a pretty good job. And that's where I have frustrations with that movie because they did do a lot more of the it's scarier not to see it in that film mm. like they didn't show mm-hmm. the creatures as much in the first two acts as they did until the end like you still see them for a mm-hmm. second so they were using that classic like spielberg and hitchcock technique of like yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna scare you by not showing you but then they show us and literally we all laughed like i don't think i have met a single yeah. person that didn't go oh is that what it is you know like who let that pass yeah. man <laughs> who signed off on that <laughs> one Ah, it, I totally agree man
0: It's almost um, And I think that's why A Quiet Place works so well Oh yeah for
1: sure
2: Because you don't
0: really see the creatures at all throughout the whole film um, And That Is why this film suffers Like I Am Legends because you, get, you got very Good use of seeing like a post-apocalyptic New York you know seeing what would happen um, You know if nothing Was tended to and All that stuff was great yeah, but then you get, you know, that whole uh, the CGI dogs come out, and then you get like you start seeing glimpses of you know what happened to the people that didn't die mm-hmm. and become these creatures, and it, it just kind of yeah, it gets cheesy, cheesy really in a way does. that's not good and not not <laughs> good. Like there's good
2: cheese and bad cheese, right? Yeah, that's that's bad cheese. Um, and again, like it's one of those things where you watch a film, you're like, this film had potential, like this film could have done it, and, and 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 it fell apart with that. It's always so discouraging to see movies like that. Um, One of the things I wanted to Mm. talk about was, have you seen Beneath the Planet of the Apes? I'm sure you have watching all the ape movies. Yeah. So that's one of the things I thought was really interesting because there are a lot of similarities between like these underground dwellers left Mm. over from the post-apocalyptic nuclear wars and Beneath the Planet of the Apes and the family, almost as if the family evolved into those people so I play these little mind games sometimes where I'm like is there a connection is there an expanded universe and potentially is the Omega Man a prequel to Beneath the Planet of the Apes like is it a blend of like we're taking Planet of the Apes and we're putting this together because hey we've got Rod Serling who worked with Richard Matheson and Rod Serling wrote the script for Planet of the Apes like I start making these six degree of separation connections but i always try and sell people on that one i'm like i think omega man is a prequel to beneath the planet of the apes <laughs> like it could have yeah, been just one of those man, something that was happening man-made war <laughs> in just one city you know because planet of the yeah. apes takes mostly place in new york maybe this was what was going on in la at the same time exactly. you know that's yeah. just where my brain goes i like to play games like that <laughs> yeah, no, we're the same way man <laughs>
0: we talked uh we said that about a movie uh, recently i can't remember what it was i think we were talking about uh last season we we're talking about escape from new york mm-hmm. and um how it could have been in the same universe as uh something else that was occurring in a different film like on the west coast we we're like okay so maybe this is what was happening in new york no oh, interesting at time and then this was happening on the west coast you know it's just similar um you know sci-fi and films like the way they tell those stories in that way
2: i mean they've left yeah. red herrings for us like ridley scott has like left red herrings that Blade Runner and Alien exist in the same universe, you know? Right. It, it, yep. it, you talk about, um, I think it was an Alien Covenant, when they're talking about uh, Wayland Utani and how Wayland was trained by a guy who was like a master of artificial intelligence, who I guess was supposed to be Eldon Tyrell. He lets us nerds mm-hmm. kind of go off with it, you know? And then we had chat about it in, mm-hmm. in Reddit subgroups, but... <laughs> Yeah. So do you got anything uh, anything else you want to say about this last man on uh, Earth trilogy that we just kind of deep dived
0: into? I have one thing to mention now. There's also a very cheese version called I Am Omega out there that was made by the Asylum uh, and uh, it stars Mark Costcos. Uh, and he battles zombies it, if you know who the asylum is they're the ones that made a uh, z nation which was a show that was on sci-fi channel okay uh, a couple years ago
2: i saw the poster and, yeah, art but i is, haven't uh... watched it
0: <laughs> don't watch,
2: it. <laughs> don't, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> don't watch it
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> i'll just say unless you want to see something bad there's there's another take on this story so um and it's actually it has writing credits too. i think richard matheson uh which
2: is funny. It's interesting because like, I believe both the, the story and the original last man on earth both fell into the public domain. So pretty much anyone can make a remake of that if they want to, and anyone can distribute oh. it if they want to, which is why last man on earth is on YouTube and Tubi. it's like on every single streaming station. Right. You can watch Omega man on HBO right now. That's where I watch. It was on HBO max. Um, I don't have the Blu-ray yeah. yet, but I should, if it's out there, I'm sure it is. So I
0: have a DVD copy, man, somewhere.
2: I can see you looking up. That's uh, my shelves too. I'm I like, just, eh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I moved a bunch of stuff recently and my
0: movies, movies are just all out of order. But
2: Cool. Cool, man. Well, how yeah, about man. you um, talk about your, your podcast where we can find it or what other projects you're looking into right now?
0: Sure. Uh, so you can find it um, anywhere you listen to a podcast, Apple pod, Spotify, uh, Google pods. Um, yeah. Anywhere. Pretty much anchor. Yeah, we have a new series coming soon. Uh, the No. Fifteen, the No. I'm fifteen All Cast. We're going to be doing uh, cult classics. I'm not sure when this episode comes out, but then um, after that, we'll be me and Josh from Talking Smack are going to be doing a whole month on Marvel. Nice. Uh, just before you know the summer blockbuster season kicks in, and then uh, yeah, we'll do we're doing a whole month on uh, summer blockbusters, and I think uh, me and Antonio will hook up again for that.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to take your 30 second challenge. I hope you get some uh, some good ones for me to do. <laughs>
0: that yeah, that's something we do, man, on every show, and it's very fun to do. It's just very fun to see people try to explain a movie in 30 seconds, uh, see how far they actually get into it and what they say. It sounds <laughs> so like a good that's board game we do on our show.
2: Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for jumping on the show and talking about this, and I can't wait to jump on to talk about uh, summer blockbusters on your show. So yeah, um, this was Caesar, seven C's, no on 15, all cast. My name is Antonio. You can uh, find me on all listening platforms like you're listening to right now. But please check out my letterbox, my Twitter, my Instagram, and my Facebook at The Cultworthy Podcast. Check out thecultworthy.com where I have all of my movie reviews, blogs, and links to all of my favorite partners and podcast friends. And I will just see you later. Hey, Caesar, have a good night, man. Thanks, man. This is awesome. I
1: would like, if I may, to take you on a stray. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandahar with a group of my colleagues. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Eric Bedford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills with him too. Warriors! Come out to play! And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight.